Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that wherever you are, there is a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of happiness and a little bit of mysticism. Because life is a rather mystical experience. Sometimes we forget that we are actually miraculous beings. Here we are on this planet. Most of the time we forget why we're here, but there is a greater reason for why we are here. And I think our life journey is in discovering that purpose of being here on this planet. And we can meet all sorts of people along the way. And what I find absolutely beautiful is that every new person has something wonderful to share. We may not know it at first, but I think with an open heart and with open arms, we can all take that chance to get to know people because there is so much to people that we are sometimes afraid to know. But our gut feeling, if that's what you want to call it, or whether it's our heart or soul, always knows when we have met somebody that seems to be on the same vibration as us. Now, I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest tonight, who is the very lovely Nicholas Story. Nicholas previously had a career in law as a lawyer in London, both in the government legal service and in private practice, before he moved to Brazil in 2006. It is here he wrote features on a range of subjects, from loving cubs to the Aston Martin connection to James Bond to Beau Brummel's Fall from Grace and Britannia as a national icon and for the field and history. Today, he has actually to date published several books on menswear and British adventurers. Nicholas also runs the amusing and informative blog, The Naked Ape Gets Dressed. More about that later. And today, he's going to share his wonderful journey with us. Welcome, dear Nicholas. Thank you very much. Actually, uh, when you were introducing it, I did think of something uh, apart from what I mentioned earlier about the way to start. Uh, and it derives from 
an afternoon after my then wife and I had moved to Brazil and we were living on the seafront in a, I suppose, a fishing village, although it's, mm -hmm. it's much more than a village. I mean, it extends over the same area, probably as Greater London, although not as densely built and populated, obviously. Mm -hmm. And um, we were living there quite quietly. I was writing. I think she was doing some writing as well. And then one afternoon, um, I, I was aware of some clapping at the at the front, just uh, just in front of our railings, which are quite high. Um, and so I, I went out, and there was an elderly couple there, not in the best of health, I would imagine. Um, and one of them asked me whether I could spare some some money, a small amount of money. I can't remember why they said they wanted it. But they obviously were in some kind of need. And mm. uh, I didn't have anything on me at that, that time. So I, I said, sorry, I, I didn't have any on me. And then I went back in the house and pricked by my conscience. So I, I went and searched around for some money and uh, went, went after them up the road, which meant unlocking the gate and seeing them, oh, I suppose by this time, 30 yards away, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, now, I should explain, on, one, on the other side of the road, there's just the beach and, uh, and the sea, Nothing, no, no buildings at all. And all the houses along the front have high walls or railings and locked gates. I mean, everywhere, without exception. And uh, a little further away from them on the far side was a block of flats, but they were nowhere near that. Um, and I caught up with them and I sort of, with some embarrassment, uh, gave them the money and said good afternoon and turned to go back. And I got, I suppose, about halfway back to my house and I suddenly had a a feeling I should look after them, you know, look look back and see what was happening. Oh. And they'd completely vanished. Oh. Yes, and there, there was nowhere for them to go. They couldn't have crossed the road onto the beach because they would have been visible. They couldn't have got into any of the properties along there. They hadn't reached the block of flats, which I suppose they might have gone into. They were nowhere near the next turning off that sea road and they, they'd simply vanished and um i just i, I was just <laughs> i just remember thinking to myself at that time of that uh, piece of scripture be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares and i i know it sounds a bizarre thing to say but i don't have any uh rational explanation for where they went I absolutely adore that saying, I have to say to you, I first, and, uh, um, yeah. I, I went, uh, after I turned and I couldn't see them, I did actually mm -hmm. go and um, and try and find them. I, I went <laughs> I went right right the way up to the turning. They, oh. they were nowhere to be seen. They had vanished. How extraordinary. Uh, and they, they didn't strike me as ethereal or mm. otherworldly in, in any way. They just seemed like an old couple. But I don't have any explanation for that. I've had similar ex experiences before, one involving um, a man at a bus stop in distress over a lost daughter. 
but um, I can't really remember all the details of his of his tale. But he 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 also kind of vanished. And uh, well, I mean, so far as I know, I'm perfectly sane. Well, I mean, we're all. We're, I always say to my friends, you know, I'm I'm treading that fine line every day. I have to say, <laughs> I what think we're all sort of. Well, my friends always say, "Is it me?" This is one of the favourite things that they say to me. They say, is it me? I said, possibly, but it's possibly me also. But do you not find that strange? And I will say to them, hmm, not really. No, I've heard too many things out there. And um, I think we're all trying somehow. This is my belief, Nicholas, in any case. We're all trying to keep on that line of sanity. Every single one of us in this world, I believe that. And it's trying to find that equilibrium in life, whatever that may be, whatever actions um, lead us to that equilibrium. I think that's the most important thing, not to go to the extreme of anything, but to find that middle road. Well, I I think um, also modern life especially encourages (laughs) us to be almost entirely rational and to disregard intuition and yeah very true feelings about people feelings about places i mean, mm. place certainly have atmospheres yes that's um that's an interesting one i don't know about yourself nicholas but i always wherever i go wherever that may be in the world it has to feel It has to feel right, you know, whether that be a building, an abandoned building, a a hotel, a house. Uh And if it doesn't feel, if the feeling isn't peaceful, I will actually move from there. Because that is a very good indicator for me, whether that place is going to be good for me or not good for me. Yes. Well, I don't think that's that's a very un, I don't think that's a very uncommon experience. I I've come across lots of people who have found houses um, which, on the face of it, you know, before they actually go in inside them, they they feel uh, ideal for them, but they go inside and there's something about them they don't like. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I have a a friend actually who bought a house and they discovered two graves in the garden. And um, she they didn't what? tell me this. Two graves. They, she found two graves in the garden that had been covered up. They really liked the house. but And they went ahead with the sale and everything. And they bought the house and, you know, exchanged contracts and are living there now. But once they started to renovate the house, they'd fi- found these two graves in the garden. Human graves. It seems, yes. It seems. And I didn't like the house. So when she was about to buy the house, I said to her, I don't like this house. It's very strange. And she said, why do you say that? I said, I don't know. It feels very strange to me. Uh-huh. And, her, and she didn't tell me about these graves, Nicholas, until literally a year later, because her children had been having nightmares and all sorts of things. And she actually said that they'd had visitations in the night and in the day that children were seeing. And unfortunately, they are going to have to move now because none of them can settle in that house. Is it somewhere in the countryside? 
yes. I mean, there are some houses, you know, mm. that, that do have graves in the garden. I, I have come across that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't know, you see, until they sort of started doing their garden and then they discovered it and it was a whole big palaver about it. Um, but the children were very sensitive to it because I, you know, I believe the children are extremely sensitive to things like that in any case. And somehow as we get older, some people sort of grow out of that in a way. Some people retain that um, gift so to speak, but a lot of people either shut it out or are told it's nonsense. And then that can cause in itself um, a huge amount of issues, I think, when we deny that um, gift. Yes, and no, I think you're right. I, I think, uh, and again, there's encouragement in the modern world to not to believe in the well, supernatural in inverted commas. I mean, is there any su anything supernatural? I, one argument is that if, if something happens, then it's not supernatural, it's natural. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just because it doesn't seem very logical, uh, logical, it, it doesn't, it, we can't explain it by means of logical rationality. It doesn't mean to say it's supernatural. It's just a... Uh, uh, um, an emanation of something which we're normally insensitive to, insensible to. Yes, I mean, there is that way of looking at it, but there is also, I suppose, that on a daily, as you quite rightly put it, in the modern world, in inverted commas, people are not encouraged to actually delve into that part of themselves. Because I think if we were to go deeper within ourselves, then we would discover far greater things than we could ever imagine. I'm sure. Mm, I did have another strange experience, actually, when uh, my last wife and I were living in Beckton in Docklands. Mm -hmm. It was a new new house. I think um, she she had she had bought that house. Um, Oh, quite some time ago when it was new and um, it was three stories, townhouse, not much garden, just a yard at the back with a, an access road leading onto an access road. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was three stories high. And uh, one morning I, I went out, I think I was taking rubbish out um, quite early in the morning. And as I was coming back towards the house, I looked up and in the middle window, that's on the first floor, I am absolutely sure I saw my wife looking out at me uh, and she didn't um, she didn't make any acknowledgement of me, but she was certainly standing in the window. I mean, so far as I, I could tell, she was certainly standing in the window, yeah. you know, 20 feet away. And uh, so I went back in the house and went upstairs and uh, I went into the room where I thought I'd seen her and she wasn't there. So I went back up onto the next floor, the second floor, and there she was washing her hair in the bathroom. And, and I said, well, I thought I saw you in the window, middle window downstairs. And she said, well, no, you can see I'm washing my hair. Now, um, how does one explain that? That's a very strange phenomenon because my I have a friend who had exactly the same experience where her little daughter was running around 
in their house. They lived in Spain and she was running around the house and screaming her mum's name. But actually, the husband was in the bedroom of the daughter and reading her a story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, that was very strange to hear. And, and we could never work out what on earth that was about. And well, we decided I, I, not to. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, we didn't stay in that house. And in fact, although she, she bought it a long time before, other members of her family were living in it. And... Um, Mm-hmm. They, they'd all had strange experiences and, and we felt very uncomfortable there and so we got rid of it in the end not long after that but I mean who knows what had happened on that space in that space in the past you know Docklands and I, I don't know it's true you know my grandfather he always used to say that when people in the olden days used to want to build houses, for example, yeah. they would actually ask permission from the keeper of that land. And yeah. whatever they had dreamt um, that night or whatever sign had appeared overnight would give them the either the permission to build on there or not to build on there. And he said that it was a very important thing to do because one doesn't know. Um, where you're building, who owns the land on, you know, in on what realm, in what capacity. And yes. you could actually be disturbing whatever is living there at that time, seen or unseen, I suppose. Well, the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. I didn't watch that. Well, it was supposed to have been built, I think there was some truth behind the story, it was supposed to have been built on <laughs> an Indian reservation cemetery. Ah, oh, okay. Um, but no, I, I understand what you're saying. When you say the keepers of the land, you mean the spiritual, the spiritual. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. And I, it's something I think that even as a child that I heard stories from family members and things that you have to be careful and you have to respect nature. You have to respect um whatever is there in the vicinity because we're not the only sort of we're human beings but we're not the only living beings in that area whether that be as I said whether that be animals or the nature or whatever there is there once we tune into that more into our environment I think our life certainly can become much easier because we can avoid a lot of things that, you know, people will put down to, oh, that's just nonsense, um, you know, old wives' tales. But actually, it's not. It is actually living with nature, living with the spirits of that land also. Yes, yes. Well, here's another example. And this is quite striking, not least because of the nature of the people who told the story and uh, mm-hmm. my father and I when when I was small used to go to St Ewan Church which is a small country church uh, a couple of miles out of town uh, and we went there because it was quiet and unpleasant and I think my father might have fallen out with the vicar in the town <laughs> oh, okay anyway um he spoke to 
two of the rectors, the successive rectors of that place, he knew them very well. And um, the first one uh, mentioned that there was an apparition in the drawing room of the rectory of a child, a weeping child, crossing the floor and disappearing. And I can't remember whether it was into a wall or into, into a doorway. Um, now, okay, well, there's a priest telling 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 somebody about this, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, not somebody who's likely to to make it up, not somebody who's likely to be seeing visions. But that was all compounded by the fact that the next rector told the same story. So, I mean, these might have just been, I suppose some explanation might be that they're photographic impressions on the atmosphere. And that's Mm -hmm. that's one version I've heard. But I don't know. I'm not not convinced of that. I just don't know who does know. But, Mm. um, you know, so far as um, other dimensional apparitions are concerned which i suppose it must be mustn't it it must be something it must be something that's slipping through from another dimension mustn't it i believe so yeah yeah um and uh yes i've never seen anything myself not not a ghost i'm not even sure if if ghost is the right the right name for it well no no i mean it's just a general general yeah yeah people refer to it like that but it is um, a mystical um, world indeed, and we can't for one moment think that we are the only creation. There is no, so no. many different there are so many different things out there that are that are absolutely unexplainable. Yes. And I think more now, Nicholas, I don't know what you think about this, but people seem to be more open to that now to the possibility that there are other things out there and that we're not alone in this universe. There are so many other things. And the more people are sort of going into themselves and trying to find out about themselves, that's what I've found with people. Certainly in the past few years, people are trying to find out and to work out about life and who they are and what are they doing here? The question then becomes sort of more important to people as what actually is out there? It's not just us. It must be more than us. Yes, well, I think people are, particularly in, in the West, Western, the Western world, thinking more along these lines. And partly that's possibly because of the diminished hold of regulated religion, you know, Christianity, for example, especially, has lost its um, lost its didactic gr- grip on people, and they don't just go to church and recite prayers and sing hymns and think that's that, do they? Um, it seems not. Yes. Well, they don't go at all. Often, most people don't go, and and therefore, I suppose there's still a, a a need to to have a spiritual search. And maybe the way people are going now is a more genuine search because they are thinking for themselves and, uh, well, observing things for themselves and assessing them for themselves rather than listening to, 
uh, strictly orthodox teachings about, you know, dying and going to heaven, for example. When people are faced with their own mortality, I think this is a huge wake-up call. When there is the threat of illness or death, Mm -hmm. that is the biggest sort of shake-up. And I think that's the biggest shake-up that the planet has had in that people are fearing death. But, you know, as all the wise sages say, Nicholas, it is to remember death every day so that we know how to live. Of course. And this is one of the things that people are greatly afraid of. But I have known so many people recently that have just abandoned their lives. And a couple of people I know have sold everything and bought a camper van and are now traveling either around Europe or have gone to America, actually. And they say, you know, this is the best thing that could have happened. Is no, that the, the camper van that was on a yes. podcast, wasn't it? Yes, but I know. Yes, no, I, of... I listened to that. I listened to that one oh, too. Did you? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I, 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 I sort of dipped into the the one I listened all the way through was the the Chalk Hill one, but I did dip into some of the others because I just wanted to know how you wanted it to go. I suppose. Yeah, the gist, the the, the gist of it. Well, there isn't hmm. really a gist of it because every, everyone is so unique. But yes, and I have friends that have gone to America that have travelled all around Europe and they were stuck in Turkey. Um, and all sorts of things. But um, people have started to actually question their life. And Mm. I actually think that's a fantastic thing. In a way, it's, I suppose people are growing up and not relying so much on other people and what other people are saying to them, but are actually trying to find the answers themselves. I think there's more time now. People have more spare time than they did, well, say, 100 years ago. Mm, mm. They have more spare time to think. And uh, with with the thinking comes a reassessment of what they're doing, where they're going, and what's what's in what's in it for what's in it for them in the in their current lifestyle. Mm, mm, mm. Well, there is more time. But also, when you talk to people, a lot of people are busy being busy. Exactly. Yes. Yes. They. Well, I mean that. That's. I suppose that's really what what I what I meant. That mm. so long as people are busy being busy, they don't take the time, don't use the time to to reassess their reassess their lives and where they're going and what they really want to do, and reflect yes. on the fact that you know it's not a dress rehearsal. Oh, that's a bit of a cliche, I know, but uh, it's certainly true. It's true. If you're going to do it, do it now. Yes. If you're going to do it, do it now. I mean, well, yes. It's the only moment we have in any case. Well, it is. Yes, we don't have. We don't. You know, we have yesterday in a mem- as a memory, but we don't have tomorrow until it becomes our present moment. Absolutely, the truth, and we forget. I I had a friend and. He owned a business and he had, this was a few years ago, and he said, Mimi, I have a five-year plan. I said, okay, yes, I have a five-year business plan. And I said, okay. And he said, well, don't you think that's fantastic that I have this plan? 
I said, not really. No, actually, I don't. And he was really annoyed with me, Nicholas. And I said, no, I don't think. Actually, I think it's rather rubbish. How can you say that? You know, I spent time with my accountant and I don't know who else yeah. with and my lawyers and this and this and this. And I said, right. I said, let's see what happens in five years and we'll have this conversation again. And within two years, he'd split up from his wife. Uh, he'd lost one of the businesses and bang went his five-year plan. And we... I didn't want to sort of, you know, say to him, well, I told you so. That wasn't really polite, but we we did meet. And I said, and so what happened to the plan? He said, it didn't really work, did it? And I said, no, not really. I said, so what are you going to do now? He said, I'm retiring to France. He said, just forget it. He said, no plans, nothing. Yeah. I'm uh -huh. going to live for the moment. Yeah. So, and good for him. And I think that's such an important thing to do. But it's such a difficult thing, Nicholas, for so many people to do, isn't it? Well, I, I, they're afraid. Mm. Mm. They're afraid of the unknown, afraid of taking a chance, afraid of abandoning, abandoning apparent security. But, I mean, you've just demonstrated you, you can't have security in the plan, can you? And the best, what is it, the best laid plans of mice and men gang after glay i mean it's true you can plan mm. as much as you want but you don't know whether you're going to live through the night absolutely well That's... i've known several people um yeah. a couple there's a couple this year have just dropped dead i mean they're you know, they weren't any age they were 60 something mm -hmm. and they just dropped dead in this day and age there's more and more people leaving the planet um yes. sooner than one would expect Yes. For whatever reason. Yes. Um, one doesn't know. But exactly. it, one, but it does bring to the forefront again of what you said. You know, if you're going to do it, there's no time like the present. No. I keep reminding myself, actually, of, you know, when you, want, when you need to do something, Nicholas, and then you put it off until tomorrow and you think, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow I regret it because I think I'm just, can't do that now I you know for whatever reason I wasn't in the mood or you know it didn't and then I regret it and I always think to myself of that saying don't put it off do yeah. it now while you can yeah. and yeah. live your life while you can we don't know what's what tomorrow brings what's around the corner what the world is going to bring we could wake up tomorrow and it could be a completely different world well, it, it could just be blown up, couldn't it, at the moment? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, eat the chocolate ice cream, as they say, and eat the cake. and Absolutely. Um, and, and taste life. Don't save so, things for best. Yes, yes, it's so true. Well, and, lots of people used to do that, of course. Yes, yes. Clothes, cutlery, crockery, all that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, mm. They'd see they come out, come out and be used maybe a couple of times a year. And what's the point? You know, you don't, just don't know whether you're ever going to wear them again or use them again. Oh, alas, this is so true. Um, we had a friend of ours and he was a priest and they always had crystal glasses and silverware and all sorts of beautiful things. And he always said this, he's passed on now, but he was beautiful and so was his wife has passed on now as well and he said Mimi 
and he would invite us and, you know, we would go and have wonderful meals and it would always be pristine. And his wife had Parkinson's, she developed Parkinson's, but for her, it was important. And she always said, I don't know if I'm going to see you next time. So I want to make that effort so that you can have this memory. Yes. So beautiful. Mm. You know, the time that we spend with people, we should really, really be present with them. No, I agree with you. Every moment, I think, you know, with those that we love, friends or family, whoever it may be, partners, I think we've become too sort of blasé about everything in many instances. But if we do really literally get the crystal glasses, they don't have to be crystal, but, you know, enjoy that moment, celebrate the moment that we are with those people. Well, I think people defer the defer, and this goes back to what you were saying earlier, people defer thinking about death until they have no choice. Mm. Or think they have no choice. I mean, (laughs) none of us really has any choice in it, do we? We don't know how long the lease is. Yeah, how many breaths there are left. How many breaths there are left. Mm -hmm. How many tomorrows, if any. Yeah. um, Yeah. But I I think I remember seeing, uh, I think it was on YouTube, uh, a talk by, well, he was a, a neurosurgeon and a, and a psychiatrist. So he covered both the physical aspects of the mind, the brain, and mm-hmm. the psychological, psychiatric aspects of it. And uh, uh, the gist of what he was saying is that there are certain things about about dying which science doesn't really explain now i I can't remember all the fine detail of it but he he said that certainly many scientists would agree that there is uh, every reason to suppose that there is a distinction between the physical brain and the mind or the soul if you want to call it that um and he wanted to write an article about this from the scientific point of view, for a newspaper, you know, one of the broadsheets, I don't know, Times, Telegraph, Guardian, something like that. And he oh. approached them. And do you know what they said? Oh. In a nutshell. What did do you they know say? What they, said? <laughs> they said, we don't do death. Oh. I mean, that, that was his summary of what they said. Right. They didn't want to do it because people don't want to read about these things. Well, that was the feeling. And yet, if you look at the newspapers, whichever they may be now, let's say six months ago, that's what it was about. Well, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I suppose he, he meant they didn't want to write about the, they didn't want to write about, they didn't want people to, didn't think people would want to read about, uh, about the personal process for them of dying. Mm. I mean, the, the news at the moment is full of other people dying, isn't it? But I think yeah. what he intended was an article um, directed to each individual to consider their own mortality. And uh, no newspapers wanted to publish it. They didn't want to do that. No. Yeah. Mm. Mm. People don't want to consider their own. Although, I mean, at the end of the day, what are we on? We're not driving towards life. We're driving through it. We're actually on a death drive. Well, it depends. 
It depends how you look at life. And I suppose it depends on one's belief of are you driving through life, through death, or are you driving towards eternity? Well, I'm, I meant mort- mortally speaking, yeah. that is to say just, just the body. Mm. I mean, the body is going going to die, isn't it? So that is a death drive. No, I agree with you so far as the spiritual side is concerned. Mm. And there, there are all sorts of possibilities. I think, you know, Nicholas, from my experience, is that and things I've read and people I've met through life and some very spiritual people and masters and such is that the physical body is our vessel for our soul. Mm. And what's important that I've seen in my own life is also is that if your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it, is healthy, then really the body follows suit. Because I think that our soul has so many different dimensions to it, but it's about really strengthening the soul because you can ha- you can be strong as an ox, but your mind, your um, persona could be totally unbalanced. Yes. No, I'm sure there's a link. I'm sure I agree. And Incidentally, yeah. I've just been reminded of something else that a, a scientist friend, mm. uh, he was a doctor of chemistry, actually, and he came to, to visit us in Brazil and he spent a whole afternoon explaining to me that there is actually, um, there is actually evidence of a fourth dimension. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, scientific evidence of it. And uh, apparently it's because there is um, a subatomic particle. I can't remember all the, all the technical terms. There's a yeah. subatomic particle which, to have any explanation at all, must exist in two places at exactly the same moment. Ah. And he said that is evidence of a fourth dimension because it can't really it, it can't really happen in three dimensions. Yes, I've had people I've I've heard people speak about this, and also the possibility that have you heard about this, Nicholas? That when the spiritual body overtakes the physical body, when it has reached a level of spirituality, whatever you want to call it. It can actually be in 40,000 places at once mm-hmm. at the same time. Because that, I suppose, I wonder whether that would explain you seeing your wife in that place or my friend with her daughter, or um, some people can swear that they've seen somebody on mm. the other side of the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they've been sitting at home. Yes. So it's it's a very very fascinating subject. Well, there there must be there must be ultimately some explanation for it, even if we we can't see it, even if we can't grasp mm. as such. Yeah, yeah. One of the most fascinating things I find is um, when you think of somebody, and you might not have thought of them for a very long time, and they suddenly call you. Or you suddenly see them. Mm. Yes. And you think, my goodness, you know, there is a heart to heart connection 
Oh that yeah, can't be, that can't be explained. No, I'm I'm sure that's right. Uh, certainly, I, I think um, I think when people uh, are in love or, or love each other, have some certainly the beginning of uh, uh, a romantic attachment, for the want of a better phrase. I think that the, the, once that bond is built, when that bond is building, then the, there is a kind of telepathic communication. I agree. Well, I, I'm sure, um, for example, my daughter and I often say something and, and we just or dream something and we both have the same dream, for example, or mm. very similar dream. Um, and, and things like that, which, which don't have any logical explanation, do they? No, not at all. But, but they but are certainly quite If wonderful. you think of somebody and then they suddenly call you. I mean, okay, it's coincidence, but I mean, a coincidence is just a coinciding of events, isn't it? Yes. Um, yes. So everybody talks about a coincidence as though it's something amazing, but it, it's not necessarily. It, 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 it might have a, an explanation in, in on a spiritual plane, a mental mental plane, a mindful plane, an energy we can't yeah. we can't actually see. And, and once again, I don't think modern life encourages that kind of communication because after all they don't want they don't want it to challenge whatsapp do they <laughs> i will do <laughs> I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious there but uh, yeah no i, yeah. I think that there are there are there are ways of communicating with with people um mm. yeah telepathically definitely and i i don't believe in coincidences because i believe that everything and everyone we meet we meet at exactly the right time Mm-hmm. And it's circled there for you. And I feel this, Nicholas, that when two people are supposed to meet, in as I said, in whatever capacity, whether they be friends or, you know, potential partners or business, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. Somehow we must, I thought of this as a child, we must send out a signal to each other. I used to think something from our energy plane, from their energy plane, and it synchronizes at exactly the right moment. No, I I, I agree with you. Um, uh, also, also sometimes first impressions of people can can be misleading. I think, and it, it takes a while for the the frequency to to settle down, so you realise that they're actually okay. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I understand. You, you meet somebody and that you feel there's something jarring about them or something off-putting. It might just be shyness, of course, but but eventually oh the frequencies the frequencies settle down and 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 you realise that they're okay. Yeah, it is about frequency. We um, the other day we had somebody come to have a look at an. A satellite, you know, the satellite dishes that mm. you can have that can sort of have all sorts of programs from all over the world. And um, the gentleman turned up, and um, for me, he looked a bit strange. And this is me. I look at their eyes, and I look at people's shoes, and I think, yes. yeah, you're okay. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, yes, my, my, my sister said that. I, I actually, she said, eyes... Eyes, hands, and shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
to me it's eyes and shoes and that that was it I just think people always laugh at me and I just think listen no I I don't think that's uncommon actually (laughs) but eyes and shoes that's it I know I know who they are exactly you don't need to Mm. explain anything and um I was leaving and everything was locked around the house you know the gates were locked and everything and I thought, who is that? And I knew that they were supposed to be coming, but they said around two o'clock mm. and this was 12 o'clock. So I didn't even imagine it could be them. So, and I didn't expect you people. So anyway, he was leaning across the fence and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to get out the car now and have a look. What, what is that now? And I'd already gone down the road. I came back. I said, can I help you? And he said to me, Nicholas, well, can I help you? was a bit rude so I said well you're looking over my property I'm not actually looking over yours so who are you and he said well who are you (laughs) so I thought (laughs) I "I don't like this person I did think that and his eyes Mm -hmm. were shifty the shoes were definitely shifty and my gut feeling said Nicholas whoever it is have nothing to do with them and then he said oh I'm the satellite man. I thought, oh, no. I said, <laughs> oh, okay, all right. I said, um, well, you've gone into a bit of a gangster mode there. I said, I don't know what happened to you. They said, well, no, no, you know. I thought, no, 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 me and him are not going to get on. And um, and afterwards we chatted and his wife was with him and we chatted and we had quite an interesting talk, I have to say. But my gut feeling was saying, no, 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 this is not the one. This is not the one for you. Get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And I went against what my gut feeling said. And mm-hmm. he said, I'll contact you later. He didn't contact me later. And the next day I thought, should I contact him? And my gut feeling was saying, stay away, stay away. Don't do this. And I contacted him. And he said, Oh, hello. Um, are you ringing about the satellite dish? I said, yes. Mm. He said, well, um, we don't really want the job. I said, oh, really? I said, why is that then? He said, um, because you told us that um, your friend was a cage fighter. I said, oh, okay. So we don't really want to get involved. I said, Okay, that's absolutely fine. And I remember laughing to myself. Um, and I put the phone down. I was really laughing to myself. And I thought, I knew they weren't the right people. <laughs> um, that's what I thought. And I, I did, I was laughing and laughing. And I thought, you see, look at this. This is divine intervention. You see, yes. Lily, when you don't want to listen, you're just going to get a slap. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So it's like mad moments like that. Or people that you look, sometimes I see people, Nicholas, and I don't know, it's rare though. I have to say it's rare. And all of a sudden they seem so familiar to me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. familiar. The face is familiar and you feel a peace when you see them and they're gone in an instant. Yes. They just pass by. Have you ever Mm -hmm. had that? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm. Faces in the crowd, ships that pass in the night. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Many times. Yeah. That's a wonderful moment when that happens, actually. It's reassuring in some odd way. 
yeah actually that that is what it is that's the word it's reassuring and somehow everything feels that it's fallen into place in that moment well i i i absolutely and i think uh, a lot of people that one comes across that they're not on the not everybody's on the same frequency are they i mean they're just not no they're not i mean you gave an example then with the satellite man i may maybe yes. it's you wouldn't perhaps expect him to be on the same frequency uh would you expect him to be um possibly not well i was quite open to the whole thing but my gut feeling was so strong and what he was talking about he was very knowledgeable though Nicholas about things you know he was quite awake he was a very awake person but still I had this niggle in his eyes that said this could be trouble this could be trouble Mm -hmm. I don't know why Mm -hmm. but it could be trouble and every time I don't listen to that absolutely 100% I make a mistake yes so we do know we we instinctively know oh we do intuition yes yeah no it's underestimated i have absolutely no doubt about that Mm. 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 instinctively premonition too to some extent yeah yeah although i suppose that that slightly contradicts whether we have the next moment doesn't it but obviously Maybe there is some plan and we, we, we do know we're going to have that moment and, and have some insight into what is going to happen. That certainly happened to me. Is it like a deja vu? Well, of course, that's got some complicated mm. uh, explanation uh, about the electrical signals in the brain. But, but um, yes, it's a bit like that, I suppose. Not, 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 not quite, because deja vu is thinking that you've done it before. What I'm talking about is a feeling of near certainty that a certain outcome will arise from um, a, a future event. Yes, yes, I understand, because sometimes um, I wonder, I wonder about this. I, I'm rather convinced not a hundred percent, but I'm rather convinced that before we arrive here on this planet, we're giving a book of our life. And those moments that you speak about now, Nicholas, is um, are they the recollection of what our destiny is, if one believes in such things? Well, it's certainly possible. I mean, I, I, I tell people, and they, they give me a very strange look when I say it, um, I mean, I can't can't say whether it's a pre-birth memory, but I certainly have I have some a recollection of my my gathering awareness and consciousness mm. at the beginning of my life. Do you have an understanding of what I mean? Yes, I I a gathering awareness it, but on another of, on another sort of level. What you're saying? Well. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it might simply be a dream, uh, you know, a childhood dream. But um, I'm pretty sure that I have uh, a recollection of my own gathering being, my own gathering awareness of consciousness. Mm. I've never come across anybody else who's had that. 
I have to say. <laughs> Maybe they don't want to say. Well, do they're, you have Well, do you mean like, for example, there's two things going on here right now, as you're telling me this. Um, one of them is that I can sense that there is the soul before it comes to earth. Oh, yes. And it's meeting with other souls that it knows that it's going to come to earth and have a job with, so to speak, have um, a journey with. Yes. There is that that I sense from this. And um, that indeed we recognize those people that are going to have a profound place in our life also as soon as as soon as you i suppose is it do we meet each other with our eyes or do we meet each other with our souls well i i think with both mm but i mean you said eyes are important the first thing and i mean they say when eyes are the windows of the soul uh, mm. to some extent that that seems to be true you look into somebody's eyes and you think i don't like the look of that Yes. Or you look at some somebody and you think oh, how kind they are. I mean, you could be mistaken in each case, of course, but more often than not, uh, I, I don't. I don't think the the eyes very often let us down in an assessment. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see that um, experiment where? I think it was on YouTube, well, they've done many of these sort of social experiments, I think they are, but when strangers, when they put two strangers in front of each other and mm. all they're allowed to do is to look into each other's eyes. Have you seen that, Nicholas? No. Ah, take a look on YouTube. It's so interesting. People cry, people hug each other, complete strangers. And all they have to do is to look into each other's eyes, I think, for five or ten minutes. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. The show of love and compassion between people, it is absolutely beautiful. I will, I will look for that. Yeah, have a look. Have a look at that because it's, it's, it's astounding at how we recognize each other on another level completely. Yes, I'm sure. Mm. Definitely. I'm sure we do. Yeah, yeah. And even this conversation, for example, that you and I are having and people out there are going to be listening to, I'm sure it's going to resonate with people that are going to say, yes, you know, Nicholas said this or Mimi said this and that's true. And it can be a reminder, a jolt in one's own being of something maybe that had been long forgotten. Yes, I'm sure. It's wonderful. Actually, it's very, very wonderful. And you, I, I knew you were, I knew I said this to you, this was going to be a very, very interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've See enjoyed me? it too. Yes, I knew it. You see, there you go. It is <laughs> on another level. This is going no, to I, be like this for sure. I didn't feel um, apprehensive or nervous about it. Whereas a few weeks ago, I was asked to 
oh, St. Piran's Day, the, the Cornish saint, and there were various things in the town. And someone asked me to, to go and uh, read some short stories of Cornish legends. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't know where to go. It turned out they wanted me to, to sit on a, like a school chair in the, the entrance hall of the market house uh, opposite a cafe and sit there and read these stories well I just wasn't I just I sat down I started to explain what I was going to do and I mean all they were just interested in carrying on their conversations and and drinking their coffee and I thought well how do I get out of this and I thought well I'll just move very slowly and and walk towards the exit which I did and escaped oh you escaped I escaped. I mean, it was pointless. <laughs> you know, there was so much din, and um, yeah, uh, it it just wasn't going to work. And I didn't act. There was no just no point. I, I the people would have thought, you know, who's that fellow over there talking to himself? Yes. <laughs> Where's that nice guitarist gone? He was sitting there just now. Oh. So, um, yes. No. I I was actually, and and maybe the frame of mind that I brought to that. Uh, contributed to the outcome because I suppose if I persisted, I might have got somewhere. But I, I don't think I don't think I would actually. But I did approach it with a rather negative, apprehensive frame of mind, which I didn't have for this. Oh well, I'm very glad to hear that. That's rather wonderful. Thank you. That is a lovely compliment, I have to say. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. You're very charming. Yes, likewise, likewise. And but I have to say, I before you go, Nicholas, I want um the listeners to know about your books that okay. you have. Yes. Tell us a little bit before you go about the books that you've written and what they're about and where can people find them. Um, okay. Well, it was about it was um it was just before we moved to Brazil and we were living in London and um, I was sitting at my computer making, I like making lists and I was making a list of things I wanted to buy, like mm-hmm. replacement clothing and and stuff like that. And it was growing and growing. And I, every now and again, I'd sit down and it was a kind of fantasy list really of all sorts of things. And um, one day, uh, Thinking that I was working, my 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 wife walked behind me and glanced at the screen and saw what I was doing, and sarcastically said, "Hmm, you should publish that." And I thought, "Ah, there's a thought." And so I I did. I started writing my first book, which ended up being called "History of Men's Fashion: What the Well-Dressed Man Is Wearing." I it, I think the subtitle really gives away more than the the main title what it's about it's a kind of um humorous take on on traditional clothing i suppose uh, anyway i wrote something out and made a submission for an agent looked up agents found andrew loney who is uh well an amazing agent actually um and i sent the submission to him and really forgot about it although not for long because within about uh a day he rang me up and 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 was enthusing about it and said he'd be delighted to represent me and would I come in and sign a contract and so I did and I had to finish the book then 
um, mm. which I did in Brazil, and and he fairly soon sold it to Pen and Sword Books. But they're a history publisher, and so they gave it the the history title, which I've always been rather unhappy about uh, because it it doesn't really represent what what's in it. And the first one's about about clothing, I suppose, mainly. The second one is well. It's a miscellany history of men's accessories. I mean, it's got it's got some very strange uh, chapters in it. And the last one is Thoughts of Home, Thoughts of Home from Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I, I don't know how the publisher accepted that as the final chapter, but there you go. Um, and uh, as a result of that book, the field was sent a, a copy, a review copy. But instead of reviewing it, the commissioning editor rang me up and asked me whether I would like to write a feature on, I think it was on colognes and cologne, cologne men's colognes and, and grooming. So I, I did that and, and, and uh, they kept with me. And every now and again, I, I gave them something for a few years, actually, until the commissioning <laughs> editor changed and... Uh, sadly, it ended, but uh, <laughs> oh. I enjoyed all that. And then the next one is called History of Men's Etiquette. Well, I mean, it's not really about etiquette at all. It's more, uh, more really of a uh, what? What is it? It's a guidebook to places and events, really, more than more than anything else. Mm -hmm. After I finished that trilogy, I suppose you can call them that. Um, I thought, well, I'll write a book about lesser, lesser known great British adventurers. And so they said the publisher agreed to agreed to that. And I scoured various sources and came up with people like um, Sir James Brooke, who was the White Raja of Sarawak. Mm -hmm. which is quite a story. Mary Seacole, who was a contemporary of Florence Nightingale's and of Nurse. Thomas Lipton, you know, the tea merchant. Yes, yes. Um, and his life. Emily Hobhouse, who did battle with Lord Kitchener, uh, Kitchener over his concentration camps in South Africa. Um, well, and various other people. Sir Francis Chichester and his circumnavigation. And uh, well, then I stopped writing books and carried on with my features, the magazines. And then I started doing editing and assessing of manuscripts. But my books there, Pen and Sword is the publisher. Mm -hmm. And well, they're available just about any, any outlet, Amazon, Waterstones, all the usual places. People yeah. can go and have a look, and they're available to buy. And um, are they on yes, Kindle no. as well? Uh, I think they're almost all on Kindle now. I think they are on Kindle now. Yes, yes, they are as well. <laughs> and what about uh, the naked ape gets dressed? Tell us about that. <laughs> well, what the is title. That? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the title. Yes. The title derived from. Desmond Morris and his Naked Ape, you know, the Naked Ape about human beings. Yes. Um, and then I had just written about the book about clothing. And so I thought, well, let's make this Naked Ape get dressed. And it wasn't intended to be 
Uh, and it isn't a, a blog about about clothing. In fact, hardly at all about clothing. About about uh, all kinds of things. About the lost tobacconists of London, um, memories of childhood. I'm just trying to think what else is in there. Various style icons from stage and screen. Uh, just an eclectic mix of, of eclectic mix of. Of what, whatever I happen to be interested in at the at the time, and there's one on um, a fantasy of buying a particular house on the lagoon in Sacrarema, where we lived. Um, and we were going to call it Le Coin Perdu, but it, it never came off, and uh, so it just remained a bit of a fantasy. But it was nice writing about it. And there, there's another one about the lost martini. Oh, so when people want to go and read about it, do they just type in the Naked Ape Gets Dressed with your name? That's naked Ape Gets Dressed blogs, blogspot.co.uk. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And what about a website? Do you have a website or? Um, no, no, I don't. I don't. Okay. So people can just go there and have a look at all the things and then have a look at all your books on the various sort of selling platforms. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure, Nicholas. Oh, pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. Please come again. Please come again. All right. Well, thank you and, for having um, me. You know, it, it's wonderful to have you here and to share all your wonderful, wonderful, wise words. Well, that's very kind of you. Oh, <laughs> I, I wish you all the very best, Nicholas. And as you. I said, please do come again. Take care. Right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. Bye. 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 Nicholas' story. Amazing, really, what people share and what knowledge they have thank you so much for joining me and i wish you beautiful moments always until next time look after yourselves and lots of love thank you for listening to secrets for an inspirational life brought to you by your host mimi novik please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode for more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovik.co.uk